Get wisdom, get insight. Do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will keep you. Love her and she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom and whatever you get, get insight. Prize her highly and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. Hear, my son, and accept my words, that the years of your life may be many. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape your sight. Keep them within your heart. For they are the life to those who find them, and healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. Well, good morning, church. So we are halfway through the summer and through this series on God's wisdom. And so this is a good opportunity to do a pause and see, has anything been sinking in? You know, so let's start by asking a question and I want to hear some answers from you guys. What is wisdom? How's it different than knowledge, for example? When you think, hear the word wisdom, what does it mean? Somebody tell me. Rightfully acting on the knowledge that you know. Good, good. Somebody else uh, over here said? Fear of the Lord. Okay, somebody else. What is wisdom? Yes. The godly application of knowledge. Very nice. Somebody else? What's wisdom? Jesus is personified. That's right, the person of Jesus. Sunday school answer. Thank you. There you go. Can't go wrong with that, right? Anybody else? Does anybody remember what the Hebrew word literally means? Anybody? What? Skill. Yes, somebody said it. Skill. It is skill. And it, so, for example, if you are a master builder, you are wise in construction. Right? If you are uh, a master Jeet Kune Do expert, you are wise in the way of the fist, you know, or, or whatever. Um, if you are taking the knowledge that, of God as, it, as he has given to us to live life, wisdom in the Bible, biblical wisdom, is taking God's knowledge and everything that he has given us and using it to produce a good life, using it with expertise and skill and applying it to the different circumstances and events in life that produce a beautiful, good, prosperous life. Now, somebody said, fear of the Lord. What is fear of the Lord? Actually, let's start with this. What is, what is it not? Somebody tell us what it is not. What is the fear of the Lord not? Can somebody tell us that? Terror, Terror right. It's not like, you know, that, that God is, you know, Freddy Krueger coming at us, and we're like a horror movie, and we are horrified and, uh, and deathly afraid and terrified of him in that way. So what is the fear of the Lord? In your own words, how would you describe the fear of the Lord? What's that, honey? Loving the Lord. Good. Somebody over here said? Respecting God. Yeah, good. Somebody else? 
reverence, important word, a reverential awe of God. Anyone else? It's the beginning of wisdom, yes. Somebody else? Yes. Yes, very good. Understanding God's ownership of us and how we are accountable to him because he is our Lord, especially in, through the ways of worship and serving and living for him. Yes, Charlie? Beautiful. Yes. It is, it is recognizing God's presence in our life, in our world, understanding that he, he is our Lord, that he is our master, that he is our sovereign God, and that we are accountable to him. And that accountability is expressed through how we worship and our worship and our service and, and living for him. Well, last week in chapter 4, we came to this passage, and we understand that Solomon, and we want to do a quick review of last week, what we dealt about in the chapter, and then we're going to conclude it this week. Um, Solomon's talking to his sons and his children, sons and daughters. And, and he understands that there are many voices clamoring for his children's attention. And he's telling them, ignore them, listen to me. The, the, the message that every parent, for now we have proof, for thousands of years has been telling their children, right? Ignore them, listen to mom and dad, right? And, and listen to me, listen to what I'm telling you, listen to I'm giving you God's commands that I received, some of this from my own dad, King David. And and what does he want them to hear? Most importantly, that wisdom is supreme. Therefore, get wisdom. Though it cost all you have, get understanding. Ignore what your friends are saying because they are putting before you the wisdom of the world. And the wisdom of the world will ultimately lead to destruction. What I am giving you is God's wisdom. And this is what you need to get above all else it will bring you life. He understands that through God's wisdom is the path to true prosperity. Not how the world defines prosperity. Not the bigger house, the car, the mansion, the, the boats, and the toys. Although God's prosperity can include material blessings, primarily God's prosperity is talking about a quality of life, eternal satisfaction, eternal peace. Um, it is purpose and meaning, finding comfort in God, in Him, and contentment. And as we mentioned, the fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom, this, this is the prerequisite if we are to actually live and um, have and obtain and walk in God's wisdom. It's the, it is the absolute non-negotiable condition that must be present. It is a heart attitude. First and foremost, it is a disposition of the heart and of our lives. And, and this is why the command in verse 23 makes sense, that, that God gives this blanket, blunt command, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Now, last week, we looked at the meaning of the command, to keep your heart with all vigilance. And I provided you with a paraphrase that goes like this, more than anything else in your life, Guard and protect your inner self, your mind, your emotions, your character, your deepest thoughts, your convictions, the whole of your inward moral and spiritual life, particularly as it is viewed in relationship to God and others. That paraphrase 
is an accurate uh, reflection of the Hebrew word heart. That term heart is an important Old Testament concept. It's referring to the inner self. And in the Hebrew world, this is how we live. It's how we make decisions. It is our emotions, our minds, the rational and the emotional and the spiritual dimensions of our being is the heart. And so this entire inner self is to be guarded with all vigilance or above all else. Of, of all the things that you have in your life that are important, and there are many, your children, your family, your bank account, your home, your friends, your nation, all of these things that you would naturally think to protect and guard because they are important. God is saying as important as they are to guard, the most important thing that you must first guard is your heart, your inner self. And why is that? Why is the heart the most important thing to guard? Well, first of all, because of its function, the function of the heart. And, and this is a picture that I think we're all familiar with here on the Space Coast, right? This is the Kennedy, uh, the Kennedy Center, the, uh, the Mission Control Command Center. And we all are familiar, you know, all the way going back to some of it, for some of us to Apollo and, and then the space shuttle and now, you know, the, the modern rockets to go. We're, we're familiar seeing people in there looking at their screens and the countdowns and everything. And we know that everything about the mission runs from here. This is the command center. Church, this is your heart. Your heart is the mission control center of your life. It is the command center of your life. And when it has been renewed by the Holy Spirit, it is now worth guarding and protecting above all else. The function of your heart as the command center means it is inherently valuable, so valuable that you must guard and protect it before anything else in your life. This is A number one. And then it's important, not only because of its function, but because of its, and here you go, word for some of you that you've never heard, young people, fickleness. Fickleness. Now, you may not know what that word means. Those of you who are younger, but I can give you a story that will tell you real quick. When I was in junior high, I had a girlfriend. As much as we could have a girlfriend and boyfriend in junior high because we weren't allowed to date, of course. But I had a girlfriend, and I thought the moon hung on this young, little, this young girl. I think we were in like seventh or eighth grade, and I just thought she was the cat's meow, right? But depending upon the weather, she either liked me or didn't like me. I was either her boyfriend, one, I could be her boyfriend on Monday morning, and not her boyfriend by lunchtime on Monday. And then Tuesday, she liked me again. And this went back and forth and back and forth. And I was finally, my dad sits me down and he says, son, you don't want a fickle girl. Dump her and move on. <laughs> don't you love the sensitivity of the World War II generation? <laughs> you know? We need more of that in our lives, don't we? We need more of that. And he was right. And, and so, kids, what he was talking about, fickle, means something that is constantly changing. And, and at just a whim, you can, it can change. And that's what our hearts are like. And so for a picture to kind of help illustrate it, we, we talked last week about a guitar or a violin, instruments that you know, just the, the change in temperature in a room can make a, 
a guitar that was in tune go out of tune. You bump that instrument just the least little bit, and it goes out of tune. And it takes hardly anything at all for our hearts that might be tuned towards God to all of a sudden be allured away towards the wisdom of this world. And so because of the function and the fickleness of our hearts, God says, guard it before anything else. That's the meaning of guard your heart. Now, how about the motivation for the command? It's in the second half of the verse, for from it flow the springs of life. We love our springs here in Florida. And we know what they're like in that beautiful 78-degree cold, clear water that flows out of them. And it produces these rivers that can refresh and give life. Or those rivers can get out of control. And they can flood. And they can bring devastation and destruction and even death. And so in the same way, our thoughts, our words, our deeds, they flow out of a heart that can create life and be refreshing and rejuvenating and restoring, or they can be incredibly devastating and destructive. That's the power of the human heart. And so we noted last week that this takeaway truth for the entire chapter, since our inner self is the source of our lives, diligently guard and protect it. I mean, church, think about it. Every word, Every deed, every thought, every action, every response, whether it's holy or unholy, good or bad, wise or foolish, it all flows out of your heart, your inner self. You can't blame anyone other than yourself. We live in times where it's always somebody else's fault. It's one of the major problems in our society today. No one wants to take responsibility for their lives. The scriptures tell us who is responsible for the words, the deeds, the actions that are in our lives that we do, that we say, that we think. Who's responsible for it? Who's responsible, church? We are. Yes. It flows out of our It's the springs of our lives. And so if your inner self is more and more being shaped by the fear of the Lord, then God's wisdom more and more is going to rule the command and control center of your life. And as God's wisdom more and more commands that control center, then more and more your life becomes a blessing to other people. More and more, you begin to see the fruit of the Holy Spirit grow and express itself in natural ways through your life. More and more, you will see God working through you to build his kingdom for the benefit of others and for his own glory. And more and more, you will experience true prosperity, biblical prosperity, because God's wisdom is in control of the command center of our lives. So that's the the meaning and the motivation behind this command. Several years ago, Chuck Swindoll wrote a devotional that said, don't stop there. Because in these last few verses, 
as much as maybe the meaning is what does it mean and the motivation is why, there's also how. How do we guard our heart? There's some practical application in these last few verses, and that's what we're going to focus on in the remaining time we have this morning. There's several ways in these last few verses that we guard our hearts. First of all, we guard our hearts by ignoring false direction. Verse 24 says, put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. Now, I have to pause for a moment because in this verse, Solomon is actually assuming something that we can't necessarily assume. See, Solomon is talking to his children. He knows that his children have had the word of God pounded and planted into their hearts and into their minds. They have been taught it from the time they were young. They have memorized the law of God, and they know what the prophets have taught. They they have been raised with the Torah, and it is in part of the rhythms of their life. And so they understand what God has taught through his word and through the prophets as it relates to life. But we can't make that assumption this morning. And so when we talk about guarding our lives, we first guard and protect our hearts by planting and pounding God's word into our hearts. There is is no guarding of our hearts separate from reading and learning and studying the word of God. Everything else builds upon that. I've I've thought about doing a message because so much in Proverbs, he will go on later where he just explicitly hits on this, the importance of taking God's word and planting it deep in our hearts. This is the foundation. But in verse 24, he's assuming this is already in place. And you know this by the use of the crooked speech, the word underlying crooked speech and devious talk. So he's assuming, hey, the word is in you. You at least have a good working knowledge of God's word. You know right from wrong. You know what God says about various situations because you've read it. You understand the basic block and block and tackling because you know what God has said. Then, and this is Solomon's warning in this verse, we guard our hearts by rejecting God's truth that has been bent by someone. Did you catch that? This command is actually very specific to ignore false directions. And the false directions are directions or philosophies or wisdom or counsel that looks godly because it has an element of God's truth to it, but it has been married to something that is false. And ooh, is that ever practical and germane for us today? And apparently, it was practical and germane 2,500, 2,700 years ago that God's people are always in danger, that people come along and they, they talk, just kind of like you know the serpent did in the garden. Hath God not said... And he gives a little bit of what God says with a twist that is so crooked that it completely invalidates what God has actually said. The teaching sounds good and wise, yet it is actually bent. It is crooked. 
It's dangerous. Be on guard. Guard your heart against this. Wow, have I ever seen this explode in recent years, especially in the areas of, of marriage and sexuality and parenting. As, as I've watched Christians post things on the internet that they're posting like, hey, this is good, read this. The number of times I've just gone, Parents, understand something. You can be a Christian and you can be a parent and not be a Christian parent because you can undervalue the gospel and the entire counsel of God's word. You can end up buying into a philosophy that looks really Christian. And I understand because I see the postings, and man, she is, she is sharp, and she is lucid, and she is an excellent speaker, and he is dynamic, and what they're saying has a lot of God wisdom in it. It's what they tack onto it. And what they're tacking onto it is the social sciences of the last 50 years that has put so many of our families and our society in in the situation that we now find ourselves. And Solomon's counsel is reject it. If it doesn't align with Scripture, reject it. Parents, you need to ask yourself, is the parenting books, the parenting philosophies that you're following, is it actually a Christianized version of the secular parenting philosophies and social sciences that have been destroying our families for the last three generations? You need to, you, you need to consider this. Because what I'm seeing posted on so much social media is crooked speech. Guard your heart. Guard your heart. Secondly, how do we guard our hearts? Focus on your destination. Verse 25, let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. You guys have all seen it. I bet you have. I bet you that some of you, maybe most of you, like me, it spikes your daggum blood pressure. You're driving down the road, and you look to your left, and the other driver is doing this. How many of you have seen it, right? They just got their face buried in their telephone, and it is so dangerous. We all know the danger of just, I was at a major intersection on Palm Bay Road about, I don't know, maybe three or four weeks ago. The, the lights had all turned red. And the guy just blew right through the intersection. And I look, and sure enough, looking down at the phone, no idea that, that he could have just you know, killed somebody. We all know the danger of distracted drivers, but there are all kinds of distractions in our world today seeking to put before us the wisdom of the world, seeking to take root in our hearts that can end up bringing about incredible devastation. We know the obvious ones, the temptations of the flesh, the, the, the lust and all of the things that are immoral in our society that vie for our attention and play to our 
sinful natures. We, we understand that how, I think hopefully you understand how much our world and the, the emphasis upon recreation and leisure and entertainment and vegging out and, and just, you know, sitting and doing nothing can, can be an incredible distraction that opens up our hearts to spiritual dangers and to the world's wisdom. The world's wisdom comes to us through so many mediums that we take in for hours and hours and hours and hours. And before you know it, if you're not careful, they can take root in your heart and in your thinking. And your own thinking is now false and it is bent. And you don't even know how you get there. But it's because of what, you know, we used to have a thing when, when I first started getting into computers and computer programming. Garbage in, what? Garbage out. And, and church, Christian, listen, garbage in the heart, garbage out. There's so many things vying for our distractions that they're, they're, just, they're, just, they're just ungodly. But then, as we saw in our prayer of confession this morning, not all, distra- not all things that distract are inherently evil. Guarantee you those disciples appreciated Martha's meal. They appreciated it. But while she was serving the Lord and, and, and feeding them, her heart was not right. She, she, she was resentful of Mary. She, she needed to spend some time with Jesus before cooking up the grits and eggs because they were Southern. I know that for a fact, right? right? We, can, we can easily turn... I mean, Martha turned something good and it was a distraction. Ministry's good, but do you know ministry can be a distraction from what is most important, guarding the heart. You know, I, I face this temptation all the time, I, and, and I fall to it at times. I, I mean, I, I preach regularly. I have to study the Bible to bring a sermon. What do you think my temptation is? To allow my Bible study to take the place of Quiet time with God. I mean, it makes sense. Right? I'm, I'm studying the Bible, and I'm praying, I'm thinking about the message. But you know, it's not the same thing. I need every morning the exact same thing you need to sit at the feet of Jesus, to spend time with him, to, to spend time in prayer and meditation and reading the scriptures and memorizing the scriptures and, and doing guarding my heart before I ever get into the study aspects of the Bible. And when I don't, wow, do I begin to see the spiritual impact. So I can get distracted. We can get distracted with good things. We guard our hearts by being vigilant, ignoring the false directions, and keep focusing on our destination, keeping our focus on Christ, on what He's purchased for us through His death and His resurrection and His ascension. Paul tells us in Colossians chapter 3, since then you have been raised with Christ, set your heart on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. You can see how Paul is a Hebrew who has been educated as both a Hebrew and a Greek because he uses the word heart, the word we've been talking about, and mind, because the Greeks, mind. 
Hebrew, heart, but they're the same thing. It's all the inner mind, the inner man, the inner self. He says, set your inner self on things above, not on the earthly things. Set them with Christ because this is who we are married to. This is where our identity is. We died and were buried and rose again with him. So set our inner self on him for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. We guard our hearts by as we walk through this life and live in this temporal realm, remembering who we are in Jesus Christ, spending time meditating and setting our attention on Christ and the riches that are in the gospel and our identity in him. Thirdly, how do we guard our hearts? We stay on the path. Verse 26 says, ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. Solomon knew, as I mentioned a second ago, that his children had been given the truth. In fact, we didn't read the verses, but verse 11 says, I have taught you the way of wisdom. I have led you in the paths of uprightness. When you walk, your step will not be hampered, and if you run, you will not stumble. Keep hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. He knew that his children had been given the truth, but he also knew that his children, like all of us, were in great danger, continually in great danger. Chuck Swindoll writes in that devotional I referred to a few moments ago that the Bible repeatedly warns that we are naturally inclined to selfishness, short-sightedness, and shallow thinking. The English term fool appears no less than 62 times in the book of Proverbs alone. In no uncertain terms, God urges us to remain closely connected to him. God knows, Solomon knows that his children, that all of us, it is natural within us because of the remaining influence of sin to drift towards shallowness, selfishness, short-sightedness. Our, our sin nature, our world, it encourages the shallow, unexamined life. And, and, and Solomon is not the only one to recognize this through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. When I mean, you think about Socrates, or if you're a Bill and Ted fan, Socrates, right? <laughs> I couldn't pass that one up. Socrates, right? Socrates, and Plato tells us that, you know, he ultimately drank hemlock, poison, died. It was his, by their way of execution. He was brought up on charges of corrupting the youth of the day, his students. Do you know what he was, what he was doing? He was challenging them to question why they were living the way they were living. He was challenging them to question the basis for their ethics and their morality. And the famous saying that Socrates was known for and along these lines was, the unexamined life is not worth living. The unexamined life is not worth living. More than ever, I think, we need the counsel of Socrates and the wisdom that Solomon gives us here in verse 26. Ponder the path of your feet. In other words, continually examine your heart and your life. And that's the idea. You're always, constantly 
looking at your heart, examining your life, then all your ways will be sure. For the Christian who wants to follow Jesus and stay on this path, we are called to continually do a deep heart dive, to continually question what's going on in my heart, to continually appeal to the Holy Spirit to reveal to us the sin that is in our hearts. Why am I responding like that? It's not enough to, oh man, I shouldn't have said that to my kids or to my wife or to my coworker. Lord, forgive me for blah, blah, blah. The, the examination, the pondering of our path is, why did I say that? Why did I use that? Yes, we, you might confess, oh, I, I clicked that link in it, that porno, pornographic site, and the pornographic immorality needs to be repented of and confessed as for the sexual immorality it is, but to ponder your heart and stay on the path means, well, why am I going to that site over and over again? What's going on in my life that drives this response? That's examining your heart, pondering the path of your feet, doing the deep dive. This this is hard. Why is that guy who's my boyfriend so important to me? Why can I not imagine life without him? Why is the approval of my boss so devastating when I don't get it? What's going on in my heart? Why am I so angry? Fill in the blank. Ponder the path of your feet. We're called to do this, to examine our lives, to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal what's going on. We're called to, to do this by, through continual prayer and reflection and meditation. We're called to do this by, by living authentically with other brothers and sisters, inviting them into our lives, giving them the the right to say, <clears throat> hey, Jerry, have you noticed this? You know, I've got a question about something. And you know, you know why we need this, right? Because we're so blind to our own sin and to our own faults and to the things that are going on in our lives. The good news of the gospel church, we don't have to be afraid of this. We don't have to be afraid of this aspect of guarding our hearts. As at times... I got to tell you, times when you ponder the paths of your feet this way, you guard your heart by examining it and spending time in quiet. And you need quiet to do this. At times, the Holy Spirit's going to bring stuff up and it's, it's going to grieve you. It will grieve you. The number of times I have just, just done a spiritual face plant. It'll make you sigh. But this is where the gospel is so good. Because the gospel assures us 
that in that revelation, we are not being rejected by Christ. We are being loved by Christ. That he is revealing something important to us so that we can be transformed into his image. That sin, that, oh my goodness, it's been forgiven. He paid for it on the cross. We're not going to be accused for it by God because Jesus paid for it. You know, going back to Colossians 3, when Christ, who is your life, appears, you also will appear with him in glory. We have all these gospel promises in the opening verses there. We, our identity is in him. We know that one day we're going to be transformed. We're going to receive glorified bodies when the Lord Jesus returns. Sin and death are defeated. We don't have these struggles anymore. We know our destiny. We know what it is. We know how the story ends. And so this is supposed to encourage us and motivate us. Set your hearts on the things that matter, on God's wisdom and eternal. And then put to death. I would say that that's a New Testament way of ponder the path of your feet. Another way of saying it. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil, desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Do you see the order of their church? The order is so important. We examine and put to death because of who we are. We are God's loved children. We have Christ within us and the Holy Spirit. We have been given all spiritual blessings in Him. Therefore, guard your heart. Ignore the false direction. Keep your eyes on your final destination and ponder the path of your feet. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this opportunity to look at this passage, to consider these words. So we have a time of quiet and prayer. And as we intercede on behalf of others, may we also intercede on behalf of ourselves. Lord Jesus, would you show us our hearts? Holy Spirit, would you reveal to us those areas of idolatry and worship of things that are created and not the creator? Would you renew a right spirit within us, O God? May you give us the spirit of repentance and honesty. And may you bring us in relationship with others who will love us so that we may confess our sins one to another and find strength with one another as we walk and ponder this path together. For your glory, we ask these things, Jesus. Amen.